Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up, a championship edition of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo is here. I'm Bob Wankel. And Anthony, we are about to record a podcast regarding a baseball team that is playing in the National League Championship Series. And I believe we've been very critical over the last number of years since we've recorded or began recording this show, I believe that this team is going to win the NLCS. And I think we're about to talk about the Phillies playing in the World Series sometime late next week. And uh, this is an episode I was not sure that we would ever record, and yet here we are. It's fascinating to me, Bob. I mean, it's it's been such a crazy ride. Um, you know, we were we we were more you know a little bit more on the optimistic side I think of this team at the start of the year than than a lot of people were and then of course you get eight games under five hundred and the manager gets fi- is getting fired and it doesn't look good at that point but you still and I remember back then even saying you know I'm not ready to jump off the the bandwagon and say that they're not a good enough team to make the playoffs but really you got to start winning now I mean you can't get further behind than they were and of course they did right they went on to win uh the first nine games of rob thompson's managerial tenure um and then uh and then we thought when bryce harper got hurt that that was going to be this well there you go this is the injury that's going to kill this season um and then they went ahead and 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 were really good after the harper injury so the way i look at it is you know Bad teams don't do those things, right? Bad teams don't immediately have long winning streaks after a managerial change or are able to survive for two months without the MVP of the league in their lineup. Um, So you have to be at least a good team to get there. And, yeah, they had their moments in August and September that really kind of left you scratching your head a little bit like, is this team really going to get in? Is this team ever going to win anything, you know? And all they've done <clears throat> since they got that monkey off their back and Aaron Nola pitches the shutout against Houston and they get into the playoffs, regardless of their seed, all they've done since is be the is be the best team in the playoffs. I mean, you can argue Houston because they haven't lost yet, um, but Houston needed heroics from Jordan Alvarez twice and, and went 18 innings another game to win their games. The Phillies, yeah, they had that one ninth inning comeback against the Cardinals, but their other wins have been pretty good, pretty dominant. Um, so I mean, they, they've been a really good team for the past twelve days, and they're hot at the right moment. Yeah, I agree with you. This is a team that's going to the World Series, and I'm I'm pretty confident to say that. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's it's you think about the the travels of this season, really, and the travel since we started recording this podcast, which was back in 2018. And I know that we haven't always been the most consistent, but we've been here for most of this. And you go back to this whole thing, and and it just feels like remember we're talking about can Scott Kingery make the jump, and they need another star, and then they go out and get Bryce Harper, and then they keep falling flat, and then COVID ruins baseball for a year. I mean to get to this point now, it feels like such a long journey. And really just even this season, I think that you and I really have been very hard on this organization um, from a historical standpoint, but this season, I really felt like you and I for the last few months have fairly, you know, skewed, skewed somewhat optimistic, skewed somewhat positive. And I can't say that I'm stunned that the Phillies are where they're at right now. I will say that I I did not have them beating the Braves. They were the one team that I really felt like they weren't going to get by. Um, I I guess I had more concerns about the Dodgers than you did, but I I did feel like that the Phillies would be a threat when they got in. And really the formula that that you figured would play out is sort of what they've done to, to make this run. I mean, it's been Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, really good starting pitching. Some some timely hitting. Bryce Harper's been really good. Uh, they've gotten contributions, not consistently from those other players, but everyone sort of chipped in at the right time here. They're doing what you said, which is they're playing. They're, they're, they're each kind of just owning a moment, and that's what championship teams do. Like they, They're getting it from all places right now, and, and you nailed it. You took the words right out of my mouth. I don't think that the Phillies are the, the best – the best team in the playoffs. I don't think they're the best remaining team in the playoffs, but I do think that they're playing the best baseball right now. Those, those three games for the Astros were all coin flips. The Phillies were dominant. I mean, that was an emphatic win series win over the Atlanta Braves. And before we get any further, spare me with the playoff format bullshit. Like just for the love of God with that, you know, you and I talked about how it might play to the advantage of, of the wildcard teams, Teams are sitting on ice. I know it's been talked about a ton over the last few days, but nobody cried for the Phillies 100-plus wins when they lost to the 83-win Cardinals. Nobody was outraged last year when Atlanta, 88 regular season wins, got hot, went on to win. I mean, this shit happens every single year. And it's baffling to me that all of a sudden, 2022, we're all in an uproar because the Mets, the Dodgers, possibly the Yankees may go down. It just, I don't want to hear it. By the way, the longest division series in the history of division series, that Yankees-Indians, or uh, Yankees-Guardians series, right? I mean, it's unbelievable how long that series has taken with two rainouts now. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, look, I mean, I, I'm I'm of the mindset that it's, it's not a good format um, only because, uh, you know, baseball's a daily game. And so when you take a team out of a routine for five days, it's it's tough to ramp it right back up again. And so in a short series, it gives a lower-seeded team an advantage. Look, if this was a seven-game series, I don't think it would be as much of a as much of an issue. I think more top seeds would win. Um, and maybe that's the ultimate solution to this, is to make it a seven-game series as opposed to a five. Well, if it's all about, but, money, uh, if it's all about money, then then do that. But I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what, though, for the for the Phillies Braves series in isolation, 
that that series that could have been a best of nine. The Phillies were, were Phillies were going to win that series. No, there's I no mean, doubt. They were yeah. a better team there, and I do agree that you put a team on ice, and that's obviously a little bit of a disadvantage. But I could also make a counter argument that you know, hey, listen, you were able to line up your pitching staff the way that you wanted to. Phillies sure. have to come in with their number three. I sure. mean, that is not an advantage. So I get it. Momentum, day to day, the ebb and flow of baseball. I understand, but I agree. The only solution for me is is lengthen the series. I mean, and, and other than that, though, you know, yeah, hey. no, and that's really it. But but you're right. And I, I was going to finish by saying you're 100 correct. Nobody's felt bad for good teams that have lost to, to weaker teams in the past, and it's happened a lot. It's happened a lot that the teams have gotten into the playoffs, gotten hot at the right time. I mean, you know, were we excited that you know, think about how excited we were in 2007 when the Phillies came back from seven games down to the Mets and 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 won the division on the last day of the year, and that was awesome and crazy and wild. And then when they had to play against the freaking Colorado Rockies in the first round and got swept just because the Rockies were on on absolute fire i think they had won like 22 of 24 or something like that going down the stretch including uh matt holiday never touched him plate and philly should have been playing the padres instead uh nevertheless um i mean you saw i mean there's an exa- perfect example where a hot team they just got they made it all the way to the world series that Rockies team were they the best team in the national league that year god no they were not but they made it to the world series um, and so it can, it certainly has happened many times in the past, ever since you expanded playoffs beyond just the best team in each division. So once you add the wild cards, it makes it, a, it's a wild card. I and mean, that's, that's the very definition of the term. But do we like, do we look at this and say, I've, I've heard a lot of people say, wow, it's really bad for the sport. I actually think it's good for the sport. It makes the postseason much more compelling. I, I don't know if it's because listen, local recent results here being a little bit biased, but I look at this and go, it's great you're having some upsets, some fresh blood, some different storylines. Like, I'm sorry. If the Yankees win game five of the ALDS tonight and, and beat the Guardians and we're doing Astros-Yankees again, it's a good rivalry. It's a good series. I know that they have a lot of recent postseason history. I'm good on that. Like, I'm a guy as a sports fan, and not just baseball, but I like to see a little bit of, of fresh blood. You know, I like to see a little bit of a switch up. I like knowing in the postseason that, hey, guess what? Things can happen here that we didn't just expect. I mean, one of the things about the NBA playoffs for a number of years, and I know more recently it's been a a little bit more volatile, but it was like, hey, here are your matchup pairings. I know exactly what's going to happen up until the NBA finals. I mean, it's almost like a foregone conclusion of how things are going to play out. I sort of like the parody. I sort of like the chaos that we've seen so far this postseason. The one thing that I don't understand, this idea that, uh, well, if the Atlanta Braves aren't in the NLCS, it's bad for baseball. What, what am I missing? Like, what? Like, Nothing. are the Atlanta Braves that no. much bigger of a draw than the Philadelphia Phillies? You look from a national perspective. I'd rather see Bryce Harper in the NLCS than Dansby Swanson and Kyle Wright. Like, what are we talking about? I, I just yeah, credit to right. the for a great organization, but that's not a massive national draw. No, you're you're 100 right, Bobby. And the one thing, I, the way I, the way I look at it is, is the wild cards are good for the sport. We have them in every other sport, right? Football's expanded to a seventh wild card, seventh wild card, uh, seventh seed um, in, in each conference. 
and, and basketball and hockey each have um, eight teams from each conference making it. So your eighth place teams are making the playoffs in each conference. So baseball's only at six. So baseball's actually the smallest of the group. Um, I, I think that the argument is traditionalists like the fact it wasn't that long ago when it was just I mean, the last non-wild card NLCS was Philly's Braves Braves, 1993 right so it wasn't that long ago so I think it's still there are still people who follow the sport who see it and say oh man I long for the fact when it was the best team against the best team each year um and 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 like you said about Yankees Astros I think you're 100% right on that but I, I I have a I have a better time watching Yankees Astros knowing that both teams had to work to get there you know what I'm saying? As opposed to just getting there. Um, as opposed to just being the best teams and automatically just getting a berth there. They at least had to do a little work. I mean, yeah, the Astros did sweep the Mariners, but it took a little bit of work in a, to get a sweep. It was That was a, not an easy sweep. And the Yankees, like I said, they're going five games against the, against the Guardians, and it's not been easy for them. So even if they win, it, it, at least they had to work to get there. Uh, didn't happen for the Dodgers. Didn't happen for the Braves. They ran into teams that are playing good baseball. And of all the things that we've gotten right on this show, Bob, I mean, you know, we, we've talked about it a little bit. You've given me my, you said, oh, you know, you were all over the Mets blowing it. You were all over the Brewers falling apart. Um, the one thing that I did not get right uh, is that the Padres uh, would get to this point because I felt like the Padres making as many moves as they did. If you go back to the trade deadline podcast that we did, or at least the one after the trade deadline, um, I felt that, a team like that sometimes the next year is when they actually kind of gel and, and really kind of um, become the team that they should be. I didn't think that they were going to get it. And, you know, down the stretch, look like they were struggling a little bit. But then it came, it came to the realization that just like the Phillies, the Padres were playing for their lives over the last couple of weeks of the season. And whether they won or lost, it, it was every game mattered to them. So they've been playing with that intensity. Then they played a tough series against the Mets, right? And they were able to pull that out in three. And then, again, like the Phillies, a rivalry against a team that they've struggled with and finally getting off, you know, getting over the hump to be able to beat the Dodgers. I mean, it's the same concept. So they're in a, they're in a lot of ways just like the Phillies, which is what makes this series so compelling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the perfect setup. And later on, we could talk about what we saw this past weekend, the atmosphere, the you know, and all of that. But I think at this point, you know, almost 15 minutes in, let's turn the page and look ahead a little bit. And you have a pretty compelling NLCS here. And I guess that we sort of, uh, we, we started the show by saying, hey, they're, they're going to win this series. And our predictions are worth pretty much nothing here. I mean, we had the NLDS wrong, for God's sake. But this is a series where I think it really does match up favorably for the Phillies. I think odds makers essentially are looking at this as a coin flip series. There's a little bit of a lean towards San Diego as a small favorite, primarily because of home field advantage. Um, but you look at this and I mean, you nailed it, man. These two teams are, are very, very similar. Um, their paths here are very similar, uh, high payroll teams, a little bit underachieving, slaying the dragon in the NLDS, so to speak. And they had to keep their foot on the gas all the way through to about game 160, you know, to, in, in order to even get here. And now they've both kind of arrived at this point, and it's a very, very interesting series. And I guess where I sort of, I sort of gained some confidence when I, I evaluated is 
So you go, you Darvish, Blake, Blake Snell. And, and then I, and you, you counter with Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola. And just right there, I'm like, the Phillies probably come home no worse off than one, one. So now you've tilted home field in your favor. But where I think that we're going to talk, like we're going to talk about the parallels between Harper and Machado. And we're going to talk about Harper and Snell. And we're going to talk about, San Diego's bullpen being lights out for the last few weeks after kind of being a little bit of a disaster up until the final month of the season uh, and Josh Hader figuring it out. Like these are all the things that we're going to talk about. You know where this series is going to turn though is the end of it because you get that off day after games one and two in San Diego. And then you come back for game three in Philadelphia and it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday for game six and seven, if necessary, well, you're not going to be able to align your pitching the way that you want to in an ideal world here. So are you going to end up, like, let's say this thing goes seven. Are you using Ranger Suarez on three days rest? Are you going to a guy like Bailey Falter? Are you going to a bullpen game? I mean, there's a lot of different variables that come into play here about how these two teams, if the series goes deeper, are going to be able to attack this thing. Um, and, and, I know that's not going to be the focus at the beginning of the series, you know, games one and two, certainly, but as things progress, that starting pitching depth and the way that these managers are going to play this, that's going to be probably the key to the entire thing. I really do feel like it's going to come down to how these managers handle their starting pitching at the back end of this series. I know that's not where we're at right now, but that's where I think we're ultimately going to really be fixated. Yeah. And and the one thing, and the one thing to take into consideration, Bob, here is, is that there's going to be four of these seven games played in San Diego if they go seven. I can – I will make it a bold statement now that there will be no rainouts in San Diego. <laughs> it, it, it does not rain there. It's just – it does not. It just really doesn't. Um, so, that, so those games, you don't have to worry about any of them getting rained out. The only effect that could happen is if you get bad weather here in Philly – but right now, the forecast for the weekend is actually pretty good, right? So, so you got to look at this and say, okay, yeah, there, you, you, you're not, you're probably not going to get any games moved. Um, you're probably not going to get any weather interruption. So up front, you're right. You have to look at the seven games and say, how does it play out? I would argue that if it got to Game Seven, you'd see Zach Wheeler in some capacity a third time. Would he start that game? Probably not. Okay. But I would think that you're probably going to see him in some capacity. That happens, right? So the way, unless, unless I have it wrong. So like, let's work through this. You'll have, you'll have Wheeler game one. You're going to have Nola game two. Ranger Friday, you'll go to Suarez. Yep. Saturday. So like here, so my guess here is that they will go to a fourth starter. They'll probably do something similar to what they did this past Saturday for game four. Correct. Then you come back Wheeler game five. Mm -hmm. So then you're coming to Wheeler again in a game seven off of one day of rest. Like, is that like shut it down Monday back Tuesday? That's tough. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, it was, they were talking about it being all hands already. If it had to go, Wheeler was possible for game four out of the bullpen if necessary. I mean, that's what, that's what Topper said. I mean, he said that, you know, all hands were on deck already against the Braves. And so you look at it and say, okay, well, that was only, that was only two days rest and he was ready to come in. 
yeah, I understand it would only be one day and then come back again, but I guess it's a bit depending on the number of pitches that he threw. I mean, you right, maybe in some type of like desperate relief situation, I could see that. I, you would hope that the Phillies, the way that this bullpen's aligned, and one of the things that when you listen to the analysis and breakdowns of this series, it's going to be that the Padres have the advantage in the bullpen. Like that's that's something that you're going to hear. Yeah, you know, numbers play that out. But you look at where this bullpen is at right now, and Jose Alvarado, I think you have a lot of confidence in. Sir, Sir Anthony Dominguez, I certainly think you have a lot of confidence in. You know, Zach Eflin, I know, has had a little bit of, of turbulence here this postseason, but I still think you get him into a game and you, you feel pretty good about it. it. To me, it really comes down to their ability to get six innings out of these starters. And if you can get through six, you shorten up those bullpens. I don't know that, that San Diego has a distinct advantage at that point. Yeah, and I also think, I also think you're going to see David Robertson come back. Um, I think he's been really pushing hard to get back. So I think he's another guy for that towards the back end um, that you're probably going to see. And then obviously you saw, I mean, Brad Hand had a had a nice uh, inning there in, in game four. I think that he's kind of in that mix too. The one option, and I, and I just cut out there for a minute right before while you were talking previously, we were talking about leading into this, and I don't know if you mentioned it, the other option that you can consider, Bob, as, as a possibility, and again, depending on how the series is moving along, is what if you go to a five-man rotation in the in the in the series, that's thus setting up six and seven as Wheeler and Nola again. Right. Well, I think that the only way you you consider that, I suppose, is if you're holding a three-to-one lead, and you say, okay. Let's take a shot here and, and lengthen this thing out. We're not going to take our best shot. And you go to a fifth starter, and then you push the other two back. The thought against that, and I don't think that's going to happen, is one, if you are somehow holding a three-to-one lead in this series and you have the ability to clinch on your home field on Sunday afternoon, there's no way that they're going to say, let's roll the dice and then maybe head back to San Diego. You know, I, I just don't – nobody wants to make that flight. What if you hold one of them? Well, you would you you could theoretically do that, I, I suppose. I mean, like that's that's where you could you could theoretically do that. I don't believe they're going to do that. I I think that they're going to say we have these two guys that can make four starts. Yeah, I and agree. They can do it in the first six games, and that's the way we're going to you know that's the way we're going to deal with it. And you know, conversely, San Diego has the same same issue here. But when I look at this series, like I just feel better. And I don't want to oversimplify it. Like you look at the game on Friday and you talk about the Bryson Stott at bat. He extends things out. He, he opens up the scoring. Like That's something that you can't bank on, right? Like when you're doing an analysis of Philly's Braves, you're not like, well, Bryson Stott's going to have a really key at bat to turn the game around, like, or to, t- to change the vibe, to kind of loosen things up. Like that's, you, you can't predict that. When we were talking about Philly's Cardinals, we couldn't say, oh, you know, if they, if they fall behind by multiple runs in the ninth, I really like them in that spot to really, you know, go off, score six runs in an epic comeback, and then spring forward for the remainder of the postseason. You can't pinpoint those things in isolation. But what you can do is just look at the overall matchups. And I just trust Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola more than I trust you Darvish and Blake Snell, and especially Blake Snell. I, I don't, again, like I said this earlier uh, when we recorded ahead of the Braves series, Max Freed's a good pitcher. It didn't work out for him in game one against the Phillies. You look at the numbers, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. I probably have a little bit more respect for you, Darvish. He probably scares me a little bit more than Max Freed. 
But I don't look at you, Darvish, and go like, "Oh my God, you're not, you can't get to this guy. He's just not a, he's not a wipeout guy for me." And sure as hell, don't feel like that about Blake Snell. So right. that's where I just I tilt Phillies. I look at the vibe. I look at, and I know that San Diego's playing with a similar energy, similar like underdog mentality. I just, I just don't, I don't see it ending here. I just don't. No, I I agree with you, Bob. I mean, and. And like you said, I mean, Darvish, look, Darvish has had a really nice year. Um, it's probably been, in all honesty, the the best year of his major league career since he came over from uh, from playing over in uh, – did he play in Japan or Korea? I forget. If he, I think he's playing in Japan. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly been, been the best year of his career. And, and that said, I, I really do wonder how much of it is – he's had the best year of his career or he's finally gotten to a, a ballpark in San Diego, which helps pitchers. Right. Um, and, and so if you assume that uh, he's going to be on the same, I guess, track that Wheeler will be on, you know what? I'll, I'll take Wheeler and Nola, like you said, even in a, in the, in, you know, especially in the pitchers park out there. And then secondarily, if you have to come play game five in Philadelphia, well, then I sure as hell like Wheeler a lot better than Darvish in that setting. Right. Like, I just really do. I just, I, you know, I, I'm just trying to, you know, he was much better. He was better at home than he was on the road this year. Darvish. Darvish had a, a, a an almost a full run higher ER. That wasn't bad, but he went from he's 2.60 at home, 3.50 ERA on the road. Um, and I, it, it, there is a difference, right? I mean, there's certainly a difference between the two um, that San Diego plays. And, and, and I think Citizens Bank Park gets a, a bad rap as like this, like bandbox hitters park. It actually plays pretty true, pretty even. Um, if you look at park factors uh, and I trust baseball references, park factors a lot more than I trust some of the other ones, because it's, 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 they tend to, they tend to trend toward the middle where, where ballparks, are pretty even, um, and, and and Citizens Bank Park plays pretty evenly. But I'll tell you what, Petco is not even, not even close. It's a huge pitcher's park. So, like you said, to go, not only get four starts from Wheeler and Nola, but know that three of those four are probably coming in a park that favors pitchers. How, how can you not like that? I mean, I. I you you only have to if you win three of those four starts. Let's you can't expect to win all of them. Let's say you win three of those four starts. You only have to win one of the three other games to advance to the World Series. Yeah, and just some quick numbers here. So I mean, Zach Wheeler's made three career starts at Peco. He has a two one two ERA. Struck out twenty eight batters in seventeen innings. I mean, listen. This is a situation where I expect tonight to be played in about two hours and 50 minutes, two hours, 45 <laughs> minutes. I think that this is a, a three to two, two to one type game. I think everyone does. Um, and I really do think it's going to play out that way. I, I think that we, we've talked a lot about the pitching matchups. Um, I just think that the Phillies have a better offense. I think that they are a deeper lineup. And one of the things that was really interesting, uh, having the opportunity to listen to the uh, broadcasts earlier in the series, 
you know, I felt that the uh, the Fox crew sort of painted the Phillies as this like massive underdog as in that like, wow, like they're real, they're real plucky and they're real like they've, they've got some edge. And I'm like, this is a really deep lineup. Like, yeah, like they have some edge and like, yeah, like they are definitely playing with like some type of, you know, something like the wind at their backs right now. But like, this isn't like a, a massive Cinderella story. You look at the Phillies lineup and you're like, there's some pretty damn good hitters up and down this thing. And, you know, that goes all the way back to the beginning of the year when we're doing like the season, the season preview and trying to project things out. We're like, damn, like, and I know that there's nights and weeks and, and parts of the season where things sort of, you know, go quiet. And you're like, what's wrong with this offense? And why can't they score? I mean, they went through that at the end of the regular season and the beginning of this postseason. But you look at the names and how they're slotted together and you go like, this is a deep lineup. And, and I don't feel the same way about the Padres lineup. I certainly understand that you have Soto, you have, <clears throat> well, you, you certainly don't have a, how you, I actually wanted to talk about Tatis a little bit later on, but you have Machado, like you have star power here, legitimate threats, but I just don't think it's nearly as deep as the Phillies lineup. And you start to play that out over a seven game series. And I think that that certainly matters. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at that lineup and you look at who's been their biggest contributors in the playoffs. It's been Trent Grisham, Trent Grisham, Profar, yeah. um, and then clutch hits from like Jake Cronenworth, who's a nice player, um, and and like Austin Nola. I mean, yeah. that's who's really been the. It's not. It's not been Machado and and Machado had a you know it's had an okay playoff so far and Soto, but Soto hasn't really had a, a great playoff. Um, Josh uh, Bell hasn't had a great playoff, and he was another big name that they brought in, uh, at, you know, in that part of that deal for Soto. Um, and, you know, you look at these guys and you say, okay, well, yeah, there's some talent there for sure, but there's more talent on the Philly side. It's a better lineup. So we have a better lineup and you have the better starting pitching. So I take, I take the Phillies with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, listen, you, like I said, you can sit here and we can talk about this and we can make predictions and, and everybody that's listening knows, and we know that, we don't know, right? Like right. anything can happen here. Zach Wheeler could go out and be terrible in game one. And maybe Juan Soto runs into one and they fall behind four, nothing early and good night. You know, who knows, but you just look at it. And I think that, I think what's remarkable, I, this is really where I, I think I just find myself right now. It's it maybe isn't so much remarkable that the Phillies are here, but it's now that I feel like they should win. And I guess, even even in my most optimistic moments evaluating and watching this team this season, at no point did I think World Series team. I just didn't. I I mean, I could have made the argument for the playoffs, a tough out once they get to the playoffs, built to survive in the postseason, but not entering an NLCS in which I feel like it will be mildly disappointing if they don't advance. And I, that's what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. By the way, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw something at you. Reese Hoskins against you, Darvish, in his career, six for sixteen. I know. <laughs> you already looked this up. Huh? I looked it up. Yeah, yeah who's good against you, Darvish? So we need Reese Hoskins to lead the way against you, Darvish, this uh, in game one. Yeah, well, I mean, so it's really the, the you know the, that's the one that that really stuck out the most to me. Yeah. Uh, secondarily. Um, not positively for for the Phillies uh, is Soto has done well and Bell both have done well against Wheeler um, yeah. uh, in uh, in extended 
uh, you know, facing him extended plate appearances. Like I, you know, you look at those small sample, the threes, three plate appearances, six plate appearances. I, I avoid those. But if you, you, know, you face a guy, you know, uh, 15, 20, 25, 49 times as Soto has faced Wheeler, um, and you have a 923 OPS against a guy, yeah, then you see him pretty well, right? Yeah. So, so we, Soto against Wheeler scares me a little bit. Um, Bell's got 910 OPS against Wheeler, um, which is also pretty good. So, you know, those two uh, are a little bit a little bit concerning. Machado, conversely, um, 583 OPS against Wheeler. Smaller sample, though. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, that, that was the other one. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, Hoskins, um, it, it was the one against Darvish. Uh, Harper, slightly against Darvish. I mean, he's got a 1,000 OPS. Again, only nine plate appearances, but um, – doesn't that surprise you a little bit? Like I was looking at the the pitcher batter history on both sides, and I was like, "Man, Bryce Harper's only seen you Darvish nine times." Yeah. Well, you got to remember, Darvish was in the AL for a while. He was in the AL for a while. I know. Yeah, just, but it, you would think just that they would have run into each other more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, you know, it's but I mean, I thought the one that really I was like Reese Hoskins, like of all people, like ah, there we go, oh. little little Reese feeling good about himself going against a certain pitcher. Hey, those things matter when you when you got guys who are all of this stuff matters yeah. when you get to this point. Now, I guess there are a few things I do want to hit on here. Um, let's start with where we're at now. We're talking about the Phillies here, uh, advancing, expecting them to advance almost. Have we ha- have we had to recalculate our expectations? Have we had to move the goalpost on what qualifies? as a successful season. I mean, has this thing been validated now that they've beaten the Braves, that they're in the NLCS? You go back to March. And if I would have told you the Phillies are in the NLCS this year, I think there's still a vibe that like they're a year away. They're probably at least a year or two away from really, you know, taking the next step. And I know that there's some veteran players here. There's some, some priciness to this whole thing. This isn't like a, a bunch of, you know, young upstarts out of nowhere, but I don't know that anybody really had championship expectations going into the season so when you go back to march certainly this is a win but now that we're in the moment if they don't what do you think that the the overall sense of of what has occurred here will be so i think i think in the moment it, you're right it needs to it, it would be nice for them to get to the world series and then that then that's viewed as the success right you took us on this great ride okay Maybe you run into a team like Houston who's just too good, and you give it you give it a good series. You take you extend it, you give them a run, but Houston just beats you know they just beat you because they're the better team. You know the city probably says this is a beloved franchise. This yeah. is this is one of those memorable. This is a '93 type team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if it gets that kind of long term historical, um, you know pull on the heartstrings kind of feel I don't at all you know why I don't and it's one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit we've talked about the fan reception to this team the fan reaction to this team throughout the course of the year it's been lukewarm at best the attendance has been average at best there was no connection with this fan base and this team up until October 4th and right. I know that you mentioned it on an earlier episode about how you've really only seen it one other time. And I guess that was what, like 2010 Flyers? Like, yeah. got in against the Rangers in the shootout. And then they went on the on the playoff run, coming back 3-0 against Boston. But this is not it, – it's almost kind of like – it's almost kind of funny. Like, I'm a big, like, uh, proponent of Philadelphia uh, fans. They're a great fan base. 
this is <laughs> this has not been the fan base's best showing in a in a season. This all sort of just feels like a surprise. Like, and they they came up big this weekend. Like, big credit. Big credit to the fan base. And I'm not even criticizing them for this. Like, I'm not even saying it's it's not or it's unjustified that they were not all bought in on this team. I get it. But I don't think that this team without a championship has that that long-term, like, special place in my heart because I think a lot of people really just woke up at the beginning of October and said, holy shit, the Phillies are in the playoffs, and holy shit, they're making a run. Yeah, and that's, and that's true. That's, that's why I said I think it needs to get to – the World Series for it to at least cap because that way at least you're getting all the possible home games, right? You're getting you're get the fans are getting to see every you're not leaving something on the table for them, um, and so at least then they feel like okay we got caught up in a run and it was fun and let's see what it, we could do next year kind of yeah. thing and then maybe it's the start of that. Um, but I think holistically when you go back and look at the whole season. Unless you're a team like the Dodgers, who every year looks like the best team and then just can't win, um, they have that one one World Championship during this whole run, and it was the freaking COVID shortened year. Unless you're a team like that, a trip to the NLCS is a successful season. You're one of the last four teams in baseball. Right, you made it all the way to within however many, at least within four wins of the World Series. Probably even a little closer than that if you lose the series in six, you know, five, six, seven games. Um, and, and you got to look at that and say, on the whole, that's a pretty successful season, and, and you can't complain about it. Um, yeah, I think like real time Twitter, like you just close the app and like yes. let it all. You yeah. Know. This guy yeah, sucks. Let, He's terrible. Yeah. What a mess. It's embarrassing. You know. Yeah, you let you let it you let it go. Yeah. I mean, we go back. I mean, you know, let, let's. I mean, if you go back in time, Bob, and, you know, yeah, that you're kind of frustrated. The Phillies lost to the Giants in 2010 in the NLCS. You kind of felt the Phillies were certainly the better team. Giants were the hot team at that point. And yeah. when you go back and look at it and say, oh, I mean, for God's sake, the team went to the NLCS three years in a row. They won two out of the three. I mean. It's a successful season. Yes, you wanted more. You felt like you could win more. But in the in the in the grand scheme, you know, to get there three times, you win twice. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, uh, and this is not going out on a limb by any means, but this is this team's, this organization's most successful season since two thousand nine. I mean, yeah, you know, when they got to the World Series and lost. Right. Uh, and for that, I mean, you just look at contextually and and comparatively. This is not an organization that is here very often. This is right. this does not happen all the time. And what one of the things I would say moving forward that's positive, really positive, and and again, like we're pro- like I think we're talking about a team playing in the World Series next week. But what they've accomplished, I think, by coming back to Philadelphia against the Braves and having those games on Friday and Saturday is that they've reminded people, wow, uh, baseball in this city can be fun and it can be an event. And it can be electrifying. And I think for a long time, people forgot that. I really do. And we've talked about why haven't fans, you know, even when they were surging under Rob Thompson and they were getting back into this thing, why were fans kind of waiting for the the bottom to fall out? Why weren't fans really connecting with the team? And I had made at at the time the point that 
you need moments. Like you need certain games, certain plays, certain moments to really build that that fan loyalty, to build that connection. And what they've done now, who knows what plays out here against the Padres, but just look at what has happened and the way that people feel about some of these players over the last couple of weeks. Like we all knew that Bryson Stott was a gamer, that he has a little bit of an it factor, but he's shown you that in this postseason. That at bat against Spencer Strider in the third inning on Friday, like that's something that you can now attach to Bryson Stott. You look at Brandon Marsh. He's a guy since he came here, he's supposed to just be a good, you know, a, a plus defender, no bat. He's hit since he's been here. That three-run homer that he hit on Saturday, like that's a Brandon Marsh moment. Now people are like, ah, oh, the beard is cool. He's young. How the hell did we trade for this guy? Like that's my dude. Like now, now Marsh is one of those guys. JT Romuto, uh, is he overpaid? Is he on the decline? Guy hit inside the park home run in a in a clinching a clinching game against one of your your biggest nemesis. You know, like that's a moment now for JT Romuto. Bryce Harper has owned the moment. He's been a monster. Like Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, like these guys have now have done it in big spots, and they're becoming a thing. I mean, Jose Alvarado is like a walking meme right now. Like strike one, strike two, good luck. Could you imagine at any point? What what type of pretzel would you have to have twisted your brain into back in May to say that not only is Jose Alvarado going to be one of the best close or you know late inning relievers in baseball, but also that he's going to be like this super likable fun figure? I mean, they've accomplished that now. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you know me, Bob. I was you go back to those podcasts. Just like I can tell you, go back to the podcast and listen when we talked in August. I tell you, go back to April and May, and you'll have heard me say. I've seen enough of Jose Alvarado. Yeah. I re- I had. I had seen enough of him. I had seen enough of Familia. I had seen enough of those guys. Um, I did not want to see any more. And when they finally sent Alvarado down at the end of May, I was like, thank God. Got rid- finally, somebody yeah. realizes that there was this is not good. And then they had to bring him back up because of an injury. And who knew at that point that when he came back, he was going to be a completely different pitcher? You know who might have known? Him. Like he may have known, I I really, you know, it clicked and I know the stories have been written about it. I know it's, it's been a conversation point, but it's one of the, one of the the cooler stories. And I mean, listen, if you write about this team, you you do a show about this team, you're going to get some things, right. You're going to know things. You're going to have some insight, but you talk long enough and you're going to say things that are wrong. Right. And I've done it plenty. I, I was right there with you. I actually still thought that the upside compared to what they had in the bullpen, I'm like, I don't know that you part ways with him. But to to want to be done with Jose Alvarado, not a controversial take at the time. Right. And now, I mean, you know, you see the T-shirts and you're just like, well, how the hell did this happen? Uh, it's funny. I, was, I, I got to, you know, I was in the middle of the champagne and beer splashing all over the place in the, in the clubhouse um, on Saturday. Uh, wish you could have been there. Uh, you would have enjoyed it. Um, but uh, one of the first guys I talked to was Alvarado. And he was just kind of standing off to the side by himself. You know, everybody was trying to hunt down, you know, Nola and Real Muto and, you know, Hoskins. And I thought, you know, Alvarado is an interesting story. Let me go over and talk to him. I knew he doesn't speak the greatest English, but he speaks it well enough that, you know, he understands the question that you're asking. And we got into talking a little bit. And when I asked him about, you know, how it felt now to be embraced by these fans after everything that he went through. Um, you know, not, and they were, they were booing him at the beginning of the year. 
And he, he got emotional for a second there, Bob, and, and talked about how it, it's meant everything to him and that he loves Philadelphia. He, this is his home, you know, now. And he's like, this is the, these people are the greatest fans ever. And because of that, because they welcome me back, um, he said, I, I, I don't think about the past anymore. He said, because of that, because of how they've treated me. And he said, that's why I walked off the field like I did, waving to everybody, right? And yes, you're right. He's become super likable. He's leading the dancing in the clubhouse. The strike one, strike two, good luck quote is is one of the all-timers, right? I mean, that's a great one. And, you know, it, it's really kind of fun to, to see. And it's kind of like you know, we talked so much about Alec Bohm having this transition earlier in the year, admitting that he was he shouldn't have said what he said, and now he's become such a likable guy. Yeah. Alvarado's had a very similar arc in the sense that the fans, and, and this is where we give fans credit, right? They just want to see you do well. Yeah. And the last thing I said to him, and then this ultimately resulted in me getting whatever drink he had in his bottle that was not beer or champagne, but was something <laughs> else poured over my head, was <laughs> I looked at him and I said, you keep doing what you're doing. And you will be a hero in this town. You will be remembered forever in this town. And he said, thank you, my friend. Eight more wins and poured the damn shit over my head. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, but I mean, that's, and that's, and that's a great example of, you know, you know, just what's made this team so unique. And I think in a lot of ways, special Bob, because of that, because you've had, again, fire the manager, a reclamation project like Alvarado winning without the winning without Harper for, for two months um, guys who had been criticized for years and years, finally getting over the hump and doing things to help the team win like Nola and, and Hoskins and Eflin. I mean, there's just so many great little stories here. I think that ultimately, like I said, they might, they need to win one more round to be in the hearts of Philadelphia forever. But I think long term, when you kind of look over this course of this season, it will be a special Philly season for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. So they've they've sort of, I think, bridged the gap between the fans and, you know, the the team, the organization, the feeling. I think there, there's definitely a momentum into next season. I think that yeah. the appetite for the Phillies is going to be a little bit renewed now. Yep. My question to you is this. I think that a team winning in, in the postseason – I don't really think it has that much of an impact on free agency. Like does a potential free agent want to come somewhere? You know, I think that there was enough of a veteran presence and there's enough of a financial commitment out there from the Phillies that if they really target someone, uh, that player is likely to come here. I don't think it hurts. I certainly don't think that their success this, this postseason hurts if there's a player that's trying to make a decision and he's a little bit in between. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but where I really wanted to kind of go with this is, are there any other ramifications or implications of this team doing this this postseason that we're not taking into consideration? One of the things that I, I started to think about is that Bryce Harper comes here before the 2019 season. If they don't make the playoffs this year, that's 19, 20, 21, 22. That's four years into his contract. He's 30 years old now. Does he start to get, I don't know, not like I want out, but is there a sense that, you know, this just isn't really working? Like, do you think that, like, in a way, like, them winning right now has some positive reverberation? Like, like is there is there something moving forward that this does that 
had they fallen short, had they not gotten in, that we might be looking at a very different situation moving forward? Yeah, we were getting there with Harper, I think. I maybe maybe he gives you another year of thought and say, okay, we you know, we got closer closer this time around, or at least you know, hey, we got in. Even if they lost in the playoffs, you know, hey, we at least we got in. Right. And let's let's give it another shot next year. But I thought start to think I think that you're 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 onto something there. I think it does help in that regard. Um, but when I look at this team and I I, I sit there and say, you know, this is this is fun and we're enjoying this and everybody should, you know, enjoy the ride until it's over. I, I still think, regardless of what happens, I mean, think back, even when the Phillies won the World Series, the changes that they made. You know, Burrow went away, Worth went away, you know, and they brought in, you know, Pence and Ibanez, right? And then, you know, they made changes to the pitching staff and whatever. I mean, there were there were changes happened regardless. And I think it's 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 pretty pretty certain. That you're going to be missing. They're not going to bring Segura back, and he's as liked as he is by the fans. Right. He's not going to be back. Um, you're probably Hoskins probably becomes a tradable guy, so you might be at the end of the of the Reese Hoskins line here. Um, you know, who else? I mean, is there possible somebody else? Point is, is that players that are really kind of integral to what you're watching right now probably aren't going to be here next right. season and and that's okay but that's but that's something that I think they really you should as a fan should really want you to embrace and enjoy this ride a little bit more because you're going to want to see this team next year you're going to want to watch the Phillies I, I mean you and I both think Trey Turner is high on the list um uh, for the Phillies, I think he's hot. Phillies are high on his list. Him and Harper are best friends. There's a lot to read. And when you think about it, there's your finally your leadoff hitter that we've been waiting for for however many years to actually come into play. Right. I mean, so there's there's going to be reasons to be excited about the Phillies next year coming off of this. But at the same time, understand that the Phillies of the of next season are not going to be this team. Yeah, I mean, listen, you're right. There's certain players that aren't going to be here. Change is going to happen. It's inevitable. There are certain players, though, that I, I do wonder, like, does it kind of go one way or the other if they fell short, if they didn't get into the postseason? And I do wonder if there is a, a positive impact on some of the younger players. Like Alec Bohm, you know where his mental state was at at the beginning of the season. He told yeah. you. He, he showed you how he felt about this fan base and playing in this city. I would imagine that he probably feels different now. I think that that's probably changed for him. Bryson Stott's probably looking up and going, wow, like, this place, you win here they'll come for you. You know, there's probably no better place to win. Like guys start to really see and think that, you know, Bryce Harper has always done a good job saying the, the polite thing and the, the diplomatic thing about this fan base. Uh, it's a great fan base. Nobody does it like Philly. I don't know, man. There were a lot of nights where he jog out to right field over the last couple of years. And I, and I think even this year it gets into the box and he's looking up and going, there's like 14,000 people here. This isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. He sees the way that this now is in this city. He sees, oh, if we do win, you know, they're they're going to show up. Like if we give them a real reason to believe, they're going to show up. Yeah, I think that 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 helps. Like you don't have to pander anymore. You can just tell the truth and say, yeah, this fan base is awesome. This is why. This is part of the reason he came here for the money. But like, and because he felt that the team could win. But yeah, you know what? This fan base really is awesome to play in front of when it when we win. You know. I think that there is an effect on that. I think that it kind of – the one that, that to me is like sort of like to be seen is Nick Castellanos. 
the, I, I thought that the feeling around him was just so poor for, for much of this year. And I mean, it's been written about, he sort of felt like a little out of place, a little uncomfortable. Uh, he's a guy, I think that this whole postseason thing has sort of helped kind of like take off some of that talk this off season, I think would have been a lot like, do you move on? Can you move on? Should they move on? I don't think we're going to hear that quite as much now. Yeah. I think it's interesting when you bring him up, he's, Cassianos is that guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to say he's a bad guy because he's not a bad guy, but he's that guy that is the is the is the is the odd the odd peg, right? In, in the sense that his personality is a little bit different than everyone else around him. Um, and I, I don't dislike his person. Like I like his personality. Yeah. I like the fact that he's he's a little bit of an fu kind of guy, right? I mean, I, I like that little bit of an attitude that he has. Um, but that locker room is full of like real polite, you know, gentlemen. <laughs> and he's the little rough around the edges guy who hangs out with the polite gentleman. Um, and that's okay. And, and that's okay. But I think that that's where you talk about like the, the fit. Maybe he didn't quite fit right away with that clubhouse, but I'll tell you being in that, being in there and watching it, watching them celebrate together. You can see that this, there's a change with him. Right. He's a lot more, I mean, while he, he, you know, used to walk in there in that clubhouse after games and he'd be by himself or he'd have his kid in the hat in the clubhouse and they'd just be kind of like off on their own and he's not mingling with the rest of the guys. And then you watch, then you watch this celebration and you watch him with everybody and you watch him who he's hugging and who he's talking to privately and, and, and who he's like being around. It's like, this is, this is his integration into this. I only think it could get better for him here from this point forward. And I think he kind of needed this. He kind of needed to see, because he's never had this before. Think about his career. He's been on a shitty team every year of his career. Detroit, Chicago, Cincinnati. Like, they've all been bad. He's never been anywhere good. And to finally get to a team that's winning and to see it and to experience it, I think that that's the that's the the catharsis, if for lack of a better word, that Nick Castellanos needs, and I think he's going to continue to be a decent player in the playoffs. And maybe might not hit home runs, but he's going to he's going to get on base and get you those singles that you need, drive in and keep driving, drive in some key runs. Is my computer starting to talk to me, or is that your computer talking to me? I think your computer's talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing that's live. I, oh, there we go. Um, I'm like, where's the where's this music coming from? It was actually coming from Baseball Reference, believe it or not. Um, I guess a commercial started playing on there. Everybody, uh, um, but uh, but no, I think it's his catharsis, and I think it's I think it's going to help him moving forward. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a minute. I'm gonna set you up here. I want to talk about Reese Hoskins real quick, and then I'm I'm want to end it with a give me a a bold prediction, uh-huh. right? I'm I'm gonna let you marinate as I talk on the next point here about Hoskins. A bold prediction. Give me your um, series MVP, and then give me your your series prediction. How many games? I already know you like the Phillies. Okay, so just sounds good. That here, I, I would have. I, I think it would have been better to talk about this a couple days ago. But uh, obviously, we both covered the game on Friday. We're both in the press box, and I was surprised about the reaction. Uh, that Reese Hoskins received at the beginning of game three. We've talked about Reese Hoskins quite a bit on this show over the years. Uh, how could we not? Um, I, I think that 
you know, we've, we tried to be fair. Um, I've always tried to be fair when I evaluate Reese Hoskins. I, I have people that'll DM me like when he does well and they'll be like, see, like, you know, you think he sucks. I'm like, I don't think he sucks. I'm like, number one, like the disclaimer here is that there may not be a better guy in their clubhouse than Reese Hoskins. Like, so from a reporter standpoint or somebody that goes down there and covers a team, like there's nothing to dislike about Reese Hoskins. Like there's no, no re- reason to want to see him fail. There's no reason to, um, you know, like want to die on being right about a player's deficiencies. Like there's none of that. Um, I was, I was extraordinarily happy for him in the, the moment that he delivered in game three with that bat spike. No matter what happens in the rest of this postseason, uh, that's a moment that will will go down forever. Like, you'll always – that's on the short list of, of great Phillies postseason moments, you know. Not just because of the importance of the home run, but just the, the emotion that came out. It was an awesome moment. Were you surprised about the game that he had – and I don't mean like what he did, but the reaction, the day that he had, it was a, what a roller coaster of a day. And I think probably symbolic in a way of, of the way this fan base has felt about him since he's arrived here. I mean, pregame intros, I would say it was mixed. Like there was, it was definitely slanted towards positive, slanted towards cheers, but there were some fairly audible boos. He makes it out early in the game, some more boos. It was it was like it kind of got ugly for a little bit there. I mean, like strong. Yeah, so he comes out, he comes out to a boo. He strikes out the first at back, gets booed even more. Then he hits the home run. He doesn't pick he doesn't pick the ball from Boehm across the infield, which was a tough play, but he yeah. falls down on his backside. And that's when people were really like, Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. Then he hits the home run. And it's like that saved everything. Because you gotta remember. The next inning is when he drops the double play ball. Yeah. Or two innings later. Two innings later, yeah. Yeah, he drops the double play ball. And I, if he hadn't just hit the home run, imagine what that would have sounded like. But there was not a boo in the crowd. Yeah. They were just kind of like, oh. It was almost like the home run was like enough. Slamming the bat, he became a hero in this town. Right? He became a meme. (laughs) What did I... Remember what I asked you about, I don't know, probably 20 minutes before Reese Hoskins hit that home run, I was starting to build out a story and I had watched the strikeout and I watched the misplay, uh, you know, boom error, but a, a ball that a first baseman, a league average, slightly better than, than league average defensive player. He's going to make that pick. And I said to you, can you think, I said, if this doesn't turn around, I said, can you think, of a more disappointing or brutal individual postseason performance in in recent Philadelphia sports history. And what did we come up with? I think we came up with Ben Simmons two years ago. Right. Other than that, you're like, oh my God, like you're talking about one for one for 19 or one for 20 or whatever he was at that point. And you're talking about the the what should have been scored an error in game two and the start that he had in game three. I, I said to myself, like, this guy doesn't deserve this. Like he's a, he's a good guy. Like you could, you could say like, maybe they're better off without him. Like we should move on all that, those things. But I mean, like nobody, you don't want to see that happen for anybody. And I'm thinking to myself like, Oh my God, like this could be like historically brutal. And you're, you're watching the fan base turn on him, And uh, you know, he really did. He saved it. And I, I do wonder like, and this is where I kind of want to transition into the bold prediction after 
after kind of pointing out his flaws for the last number of years, I actually think that Reese Hoskins and Kyle Schwarber, uh, I think Kyle Schwarber and Reese Hoskins are going to kind of like put the Phillies offensively on their back in this series. I think it's a, a total 180 from what we saw earlier in the playoffs. I think those guys are going to get hot here. Um, that's that's kind of my bold prediction, I guess. Okay. So my – you want to – so uh, I got to give you a bold prediction, a prediction, and the series MVP, right? Yeah. That's what we're doing. Okay. Bold prediction uh, for this series is that the Phillies' bullpen shuts down the Padres. Okay. All right. I think that – and I'm saying that because – I think Robertson's going to be available. I think that the Phillies will have a lot of matchup options in the back end of games. And while I, I still trust Wheeler and Nola to be Wheeler and Nola, uh, the best two pitchers in the in the series, I think that there's going to be a number of games where we're going to need the bull. The Phillies are going to need the bullpen to win that game for to hold a lead or to it's a tie game, keep it tied or whatever, keep a game close. And really shut down the Padres. And I think that the bullpen will do that. I don't think the Padres are going to score a lot in this series. I really don't. I think the Padres lineup is a lot like um, uh, a lot like the, the Cardinals lineup in a lot of ways. It's got some good players around two superstars. Yeah. And and I think that, that if you can if you can negate those two guys primarily, you're not gonna you're not gonna give up a lot. And I so I think the bold prediction is that the bullpen, while San Diego might have a better one, the Phillies' bullpen will be good enough and shut down San Diego. Okay. I, I like that. I'm in on that. All right. Um, I, I I look at this, and uh, certainly it, it's almost like if you play if you play roulette. You sit at a roulette table long enough and you see Red go on a streak for 15, you say, well, eventually, at some point, something has to give. And when I look at Kyle Schwarber, I I say, well, I know what he's capable of. And at some point, something has to give. And I thought in some of the later games against the Braves, the swing started to look a little bit more comfortable. Now, I don't know what the layoff does. I don't know if he was picking up, you know, some momentum and and figuring it out. And this kind of hurts him. I suspect it doesn't. So when I – I'll just piggyback right into this. You know, not only do I think that Reese Hoskins has a good series here offensively, and not only do I think that Kyle Schwarber rebounds – I think that Kyle Schwarber is going to be the MVP of the NLCS. What say you? So I'm going for we're doing the MVP first before the series prediction. Yes. Um, I'm I'm going to go. Uh, I, I like that pick. I like. I think it's a good pick. Um, I'm, I, this is Harper series. He's always been a big big moment guy. He's always been a bright lights guy. You saw it in the last round how he was the best hitter. On the team, I guess I I would argue that if they gave out an MVP of the division series, that Harper probably would have been it. Um, but now that there is an MVP to hand out, an NLCS MVP, this is Harper's. Not only is it because it's it's such a big bright lights and big moment kind of guy, but it's got to remember in 2009, the offseason of 2019, it was all about two people. It was all about Harper. It was all about Machado. And now here they are, four years later, facing each other for the right to go to the World Series. Who has that it factor to be the difference for his team and get them to the World Series? 
I think they both do, in all honesty. But I think the one that's going to win out here is Bryce Harper. So I think everybody at this point uh, heard us say probably a couple times over that the Phillies, we think that the Phillies are going to win this series. Um, You know, for me, I think that you're going to see them split these first two games in San Diego. I think they come back to Philadelphia this weekend, 1-1. I think the Phillies will win two out of three in Philadelphia. And then I think it ends next Monday night in game six. And I think that seven days from now, uh, Phillies will be in the World Series after a win in six. I'm actually going to make – I think it's going to go the full seven. And the only reason I think it's going to go the full seven, Bob, is I honestly think when you look at the pitching rotation and how it's going to go, I think when we discussed this at the very beginning, and I threw it out there to you, I think Nola doesn't pitch till game seven. I think that you're – when you look at it, Wheeler goes five. You could go Nola six, but it would be on short rest. And do you really want to risk going to a game seven and having neither of them at your disposal? Um, I I think that the Phillies will play it in such a way that game six could be a, a Bailey falter start, for example, or a, you know, it depends on what sound, you know, how they do the game four thing with Syndergaard or whatever. Uh, But I think it could be that. I think Nola is, is held till game seven. And I think he's the guy that shuts it down and takes the Phillies to the world series four games to three, uh, winning game seven in San Diego. It's going to be very interesting. I mean, I know it's kind of the starting point of where we were at earlier in the show, but I think if, if these two teams are tied 2-2 after four games, the, the way that these managers and these organizations decide to play their pitching matchups in the back half of the series, I truly think – I don't know how you come into this whole thing and, and look at really – I know there's a lot of good storylines and talking points and, and all of that, but – to me, the way that that's going to be handled is probably going to determine this series. Yep. So yep. It's, it should be very, very interesting. So if you don't have anything else, we can shut it down here. I don't know if there's a one more thing. Uh, or- you know, I, re- I really wasn't going to have a one more thing, but I got to ask you this, and I don't know because I haven't seen anything yet. It's still early enough in the morning that maybe maybe nothing has uh, has come out yet. But with the with the Yankees game getting postponed yesterday, if you're Cleveland, do you switch pitchers? Today they were going to start Savali yesterday. Um, I, I guess right now I'm looking at DraftKings and they usually are the the most uh, reliable source and he is the listed pitcher versus Nestor Cortez for this game five. So the Yankees I believe switched out. Uh, the Guardians appear uh, appear to be rolling with the the same. Yeah, according to the, I went to the MLB app. It says TBD. Mm. So I, I guess the question for you is. Would you make would you make a change? Now you can't can't go to Bieber, I, I don't think, for the full game, because Bieber pitched um game three, right? That was the one that they won uh in the come from behind victory. Uh, or did he go game two? Bieber was game Bieber was game two. I'm sorry. So maybe you could, because game two was on uh what day was that? <laughs> what day was that? Game two, the thirteenth. You can go to Bieber. Thursday. Yeah, it was last Thursday. Yeah. Should be it should be interesting. I'm a little surprised they didn't just wait that out last night and play it. Uh, you know, it's the NLDS. I know that this happens in the NBA sometimes. It's weird. One series is still 
you know, it'll be over by the time the, the Phillies take the field tonight. But it's very strange on the same day watching a, a league championship series begin as a division series ends. Um, yeah. 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 It, it does give them a little bit of wiggle room. I mean, certainly with the extra day, it allows it, it gives you more options. I mean, uh, I, look, the way Bieber pitched the game, that game too uh, in New York. He gave up the, the home run to, to Stanton in the first inning and then shut it down Yeah, into the sixth inning. I mean, they what had – what, what do you have there? Who comes out of that for you? Well, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, 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 If they would have played yesterday, I think that the Yankees had the advantage. Um, I, I didn't like the, the pitching matchup. Now I like the – it depends on who Cleveland goes with. But if you can throw Bieber on normal rest and win this series – uh, uh, I would go with I would go with the, I would go with the Guardians, but again it depends on who they start. But I, I, you know, I will take I'll take Cleveland if they go Bieber. Yeah, well, for what it's worth, Francona yesterday did say even if the game is delayed, if, even if it's pushed back a day, that he was going to stick with his plan. But plans could change fast if things don't go well early. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, I, I you know I don't know. Uh, he's on normal rest. Why wouldn't you? He's your best pitcher. He's on normal rest. It's a it's an elimination game. Why wouldn't you throw him? Terry Francona is very comfortable with himself. He, he must be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for uh, Anthony Sanfilippo, I am Bob Wankel. Thank you for tuning into Crossed Up. Uh, we will be back at uh, some point later on in the series to break down what's happened early on and what to expect in the back half. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to everybody soon.